0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The
3: Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Freestyle Friday is upon us. Very exciting stuff. Uh, it's a pretty beautiful day here in New York City, so I'm in a, a above-average mood. Looking forward to a fantastic weekend, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Some news today, though, first. We got some fun guests lined up, and I want some calls today, please. SVP, s'il vous plaît, 888-900-3393. That is the number for those of you who don't know it by heart already. Uh, please do give a ring. Let's have a chat and uh, we're talking about whatever you want from the week, from the day, from the future. Uh, you name it, we can hit it. Okay, the transition team. I, wa- I do want to get into the news of the day because it is pretty interesting stuff. Not like crazy interesting, but pretty interesting. Uh, we have the Trump transition, which is the most... Uh, the most overanalyzed and uh, and media frenzy surrounded transition imaginable, right? This is everything is oh he might pick this person oh my gosh he might pick this oh my gosh everything he does oh no he had steak without reporters there oh my gosh everyone's freaking out they're free they're bugging out actually it's like they got some bad brownies and now they're not doing well with those special magic brownies they're bugging out the media needs to stop bugging out it's just too much now they need to just learn to chill for a little bit um and and the transition right now is is getting even more attention than the past few days because well one i think all the political reporters are not yet they're not yet making the, the their own transition if you will Into a period where just covering everything going on with the campaigns and with the candidates and everything else is that's all you have to do. That's pretty easy. I mean, that's really sort of autopilot stuff, right? That's not hard. That's not hard for them to pull off. So they like that. The horse race reporters, creatures, creatures of habit, reporters like to do things the same way. And uh, that's that's the situation. Okay. So they've been covering the transition, they've been all over that, and Trump has now named a couple of very senior picks. You've got Senator Jeff Sessions, known for his views on, according to the Washington Post here, his hardline views on immigration, and you also have Mike Pompeo, Representative Pompeo, who is going to be the next CIA director. He's uh, from Kansas. He has accepted the CIA job. So you got uh, Senior Advisor Bannon. Who am I I leaving out? Uh, We don't know who the press secretary is yet, but I've heard some interesting rumors. We've heard tons of rumors about all of this. Uh, You got Sessions as Attorney General, Pompeo for CIA. The the rumor mill says that there's a bunch of meetings the next couple days. Mitt Romney may be Secretary of State. Or Rudy Giuliani may be Secretary of State. Got to find out who the Secretary of Defense is going to be. Oh, the one that's gotten the left all freaked out.
4: They're bugging out. They're tweaking out.
3: The one that's gotten them really uh, taking the the amplifier sound to 11 is General Flynn, Lieutenant General Flynn, whom they view it. Well, depends on which write up of it you pick out. But. More or less, they say that he's Islamophobic or too strident on his views of Islam. And uh, we'll see. I think that the Trump administration was quite clearly going to take a different perspective on Islam than its predecessor. That was inevitable because its predecessor administration, the Obama administration, has said some very bizarre things when it comes to uh, our enemies in the jihadist world and also has refused to say some things in an equally bizarre fashion they don't like to say radical Islam you have the President of the United States standing before the United Nations at one point and saying the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam which I find I found at the time and still find very troubling Uh, no this is America actually you can slander any prophet you want and the future may belong to you sorry it's how we do things here I uh, don't really like the president weighing in and being the theologian-in-chief, uh, especially theologian-in-chief for a religion that he quite obviously, based on his own statements and those of, of the media who get completely apoplectic when anyone even raises the fact that Obama lived in a Muslim country for a few years, it's not his religion, and yet he's felt the need to wax philosophical on it. Okay. And then you have the refusal to say radical Islam. You had that completely inexcusable moment uh, after the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, where you had uh, that individual. What was it? Uh, Was it Omar Mateen? Some of the shooters names now get conflated and get get mixed up in my mind. Calling in and saying, hey, just so we're all clear, I'm doing this uh, for ISIS. You know, Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah. All that stuff. Very, very clear about what his intent was. And then the FBI released redacted transcripts where it's like, I pledge allegiance to blank. I'm doing this for blank. And I had the surreal experience. Some of you may have even seen it of going on television and being told by a somewhat. uh, Maybe condescending and surly former FBI official that this was a this was a decision that was just made in the field by FBI agents no way in whatsoever from the attorney general from DOJ or from the white house on the decision to redact transcripts that are official public record that are not classified that are not they are 911 calls but no i was the crazy one right i was the weird i'm like yeah i'm pretty sure that they wanted to sort of score some political points here by making by by not raising the temperature about how this is ISIS. And yes, this was done in the name of the Islamic state. And there's Islam in the Islamic state. And the left gets so freaked out about that. But you see, this is all a part of what I like about Trumpism. Is that they're going to say that Trump's picks for national security are Islamophobic. They're going to pick a few quotes from here or there. And they're going to say, see, he's Islamophobic. And in the case of Sessions, I'm, I'm sure based on his immigration stance, as well as I know, he's Uh, The the issue of when he was up for a federal judgeship, they're going to say that he's a racist. But we're kind of in this new era right now where it seems like maybe that's just not going to work anymore. Maybe calling someone Islamophobic isn't going to push them out of the public square and get them shunned by a majority of the American people. Maybe calling someone a racist isn't going to force them to cower in fear and beg forgiveness for offenses unknown. Maybe we've reached a new point. Maybe. I'm not sure yet, but it seems that Trumpism has opened this up. Someone wants to tell me that Lieutenant General Flynn is a bad manager, is a bad analyst, has a bad temperament. I've heard that. I'm going to be calling friends of mine this week, well, in the next days and weeks, I should say, uh, from inside the community, just to get a sense, you know, what do you think of this guy? And what do you think of some of these picks? I I like to pulse my people who are still... Still doing the work of the global war on terror and see just what their opinions are about the top, you know, the top honchos that are running things. Just, you know, Brennan is very clearly thought of as like absolutely an Obama guy, very loyal to Obama, very close to Obama. So he's going. Uh, But calling Flynn an Islamophobe and calling Sessions a racist, I don't think it's going to work this time. I do think it would have worked in previous years. I do think during the Bush administration, even, they wouldn't have wanted to fight this fight. But Trump wants his NSA director. And it will be interesting to see during it, for any of the confirmation hearings that are coming. Of course, the Democrats are going to be doing grandstanding. And I mean, get prepared for whomever Trump nominates from the list of what is it? Twenty one, twenty some odd judges that he said he would consider for the Supreme Court. Uh, get ready for a borktastic borking of epic bork proportions. I mean, they are going to do everything in their power to destroy the character and credibility of any truly conservative justice that or nominee for the Supreme Court uh, that is put up by the Trump administration. And they're also trying this now in the media. A- after an entire campaign spent not in trying to argue about Trump's policies and the issues, whether articulately or inarticulately stated, instead of going after the policy issues, what they've wanted to do is make this all about how Donald Trump is bad. He's a racist. He's evil. He's vile. Now they're saying it about his transition team. Now they're saying it about the picks that he has made for senior advisory roles and and other uh, government slots. They're not going to stop. I really hope That if nothing else, the Trump administration, the Trump transition team continues to push forward with the people they think are best. Some of these picks are, are quite clearly well within the realm of, should we say normal? Oh, that's a huge thing now, by the way. You see, the media is looking for a justification for their continued irrational fear and deep loathing of Donald Trump. And they know that that's in contradiction with the we're objective journalists who cover things and give you the facts. Those things are intention in direct conflict with each other. Right. You can't just openly hate someone and then pretend that you're reporting on it without any bias. Or maybe you can try to pretend. But anybody who has a reasonably well-functioning brain is going to come up with the conclusion that you're a phony. So the normalization of Trump, that's what they're fighting against now, because they have to come up with a concept that justifies their continued hostility and animosity while trying to create some sort of a uh, of a loophole for their journalistic integrity. So you'll see this on many sites. Just type in Trump and normalization on Google. You'll see what I'm talking about. Normalizing Trump has now become the buzzword or the buzz phrase, and that's what you should not do They're already setting the table and making sure that everyone knows that they're not going to give this administration a fair shot. They're going to give the transition team a fair shot because he's beyond the pale. He's unacceptable. And his nominees for these various positions or his picks, depending on whether they have to be approved or if they're just somebody that gets to hang out with him. I mean, I tweeted out last night, Valerie Jarrett has been arguably the most important Obama advisor of the last eight years. You didn't see the media freaking out about her. Oh, what uh, well, What credentials does she have? Obama likes her, trusts her. Okay, he's the president. He gets to make that pick. You notice they weren't saying, oh, oh Valerie Jarrett. Well, what has she done to earn the, you know, the, the president's trust and become a senior advisor of the highest office in the land, all that stuff? They're going to pick apart every person who goes in. Tr- you'll, you'll notice already that politicians who were previously quite normal, have now been cast out as abnormal because of their support for Trump. So they can't be normalized now either. This is true of Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani. Go down the list. You're even seeing somebody say, oh, well, Mitt Romney. But Mitt Romney denounced Trump in the primary. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we're going to come together as a Republican Party. Maybe this is the way towards unity. Maybe having some establishment Republicans who happen to have a particular set of a very particular set of skills, uh, maybe that would be a good idea for a whole host of reasons. And yet there are, the media reports on this like somehow it's a backtracking on Trump's promises or it shows that there's – it shows what? They're, they're just trying to find the negative in everything. It's exhausting to read because you're just like, gosh, can you just – just you know, talk about the picks without uh, immediately switching into attack mode. And it's just everywhere. I mean, they hate this guy. They hate Donald Trump and everybody who supported him and everybody who now is willing to go along with him and willing to be on the team in one way or another. They hate all of them. Hate. Not disagree, not dislike, hate. And it comes through in their reporting and it comes through in their analysis. And we've got some picks Seem perfectly legitimate to me. Sensible enough. Maybe Flynn wouldn't have been my top choice, but, you know, what do I know? I've been out of the game for a few years. Maybe Flynn's great. The spec ops guy, respected among door kickers, at least from what I hear. You know, wants to go after the bad guys and speaks about Islam without worrying, of, you know, that he's going to uh, offend all the time. And it's probably said a couple of things that were a little dumb. But don't we all sometimes? I don't know. Obama said some things we could talk about that I think are crazy, but discussion for another time. 888 900 3393. Team, show is just getting going. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show,
5: the Blaze Radio Network.
0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
5: Buck Sexton. So
3: Mike Pompeo is going to be CIA director. He's already accepted. Um, He's... uh, Guy with solid background for this, uh, somebody who I think we can expect will do a, a competent job, but the, the left is going to be upset because of his stances on a whole host of national security issues. He likes NSA surveillance. He implied that Snowden should get the after due process, should get the death penalty. Uh, he wants to keep Gitmo open and believes that it's the right option for the detain, uh, detainment of. Uh, terrorists who are not fighting in uniform and taken off of battlefields like Iraq and Afghanistan. Guy went to Harvard law school, editor of Harvard law review. So he's smart. That's not always true, but Harvard law review for a guy like Pompeo, he's probably a pretty darn good lawyer. I'm guessing he's a sharp guy. He also started a company out in Kansas made uh, what was it? Not mining equipment, oil field equipment, something like that. Uh, served his country in the military, uh, Went to West Point, graduated first in his class at West Point. So, yeah, that's impressive. So, impressive credentials. Clearly qualified for the job. More qualified than uh, Leon Panetta, for example. I mean, Panetta was fine from what I understand. Panetta was actually pretty well-liked in the agency because he understood that for a guy who hadn't really walked the walk, the best thing he could do was listen to those around him who knew and protect the agency bureaucracy. Sort of watch out for the agency's interests, which not necessarily the best thing from the perspective of the taxpayer and U.S. citizens. But uh, nonetheless, he was he was pretty well liked from what I understand. Uh, I spoke with him once. He's fine. Seemed like an affable enough fellow. Always kind of reminded me a little bit of Danny DeVito. I don't know why. Uh, But yeah, you had it. You had him. And now you're going to have Pompeo looks like a CIA director. And I think it's a good choice. He's said some stuff that is going to resonate with the national security right in this country. Uh, That's for sure. He's going to raise some alarms for those of us who are more sort of libertarian minded, I think. And he uh, I think he'll do a good job. He also was part of the uh, select committee on Benghazi. So there's and says he wants to roll back the Iran nuclear deal. Um, so there's, go- those are the things that are going to upset, uh, the left. They're also going to say that he would, they're also going to point out this quote, which I'm already seeing here, making the rounds, all over the internet, that Muslim leaders are quote, potentially complicit in terrorist attacks, that they do not denounce those made in the name of Islam. I mean, potentially complicit is a little bit of a strong way of saying it, but, uh, there you go. He says they must cite the Quran as evidence that the murder of innocents is not permitted. This was in a House floor speech in 2013. Yeah, so he wants the moderates to denounce the extremists. Potentially complicit is the thing they're going to get all they're already getting all upset about. Uh, So he's he's this is what you get, though, when you when Republicans win and they've been winning, winning, winning. We'll talk more about that on the other side of the break, but. This is what the the Democrats had built up the presidency so much around Obama and had such expectations in Obama and given him so much leeway that he was overshadowing really the rest of government with the powers that he was taking upon himself, but also just with his sort of persona, the support he had in the press in Hollywood media. Uh, Now, Democrats have realized they don't have Hillary. They don't have the presidency. And they're looking around then. Oh, wait, they don't really have much of anything. And that means the Republicans are going to get their way, which is something we're going to have to talk about here in a minute, what that should look like, what that should feel like. And there shouldn't be panic on the Democrats for safety, but there should be some policy panic because I think it's going to be a rough couple of years for the DNC.
5: The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. Silencer Shop is the place to go to get a silencer for your firearm. They've got a friendly and knowledgeable staff. They're always there to help answer any questions you may have. If you've never considered a silencer before, it is awesome. I fired with a whole bunch of different silencers in my day. And I'm telling you, once you start, you're going to be like, I wish I had been doing this all along. Uh, You just go on SilencerShop.com. They've got a fantastic selection. They've got great prices. And they will walk you through, step-by-step, the process in order to get a silencer. And then you are good to go. So please, team, check out SilencerShop.com. Again, that is SilencerShop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Isn't it funny that you have the Trump transition getting so much negative attention from the media? And yet, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... These are good picks. These are good. These are good picks. This, this isn't like a Harriet Myers moment. W W. This this isn't some uh some weird. I don't know. I know there's some criticisms about, about Flynn. I don't think that the Kremlin ties are quite as. I, I don't know. Those don't bother me as much as they bother some other people. Uh, but who knows? I don't really know the full extent of them. Probably. I don't think anyone does. Uh, But the other stuff I'm seeing here about the other picks that he's made and the people who are up for these different jobs, this see, this is, in fact, normalizing Trump because these are pretty normal picks. You know, he's not saying, hey, I hear Hulk Hogan's looking for a job. Maybe we should make him secretary of defense, although part of me thinks that that would be awesome. Uh, This is pretty straightforward stuff from within the Republican Party. Yeah, they're outsiderish candidates, but. Not necessarily. I mean, Rudy Giuliani's not an outsider. Chris Christie's not an outsider, although Christie's apparently on the outs, but uh, some of these other people who are in the discussion here. I, I think bringing Romney in, by the way, would be great. It would go a long way towards healing the divide with the sort of Never Trump movement and bring, and also bringing a guy who's obviously very even temperament, a real technocrat, um, inc- impeccable resume, incredibly, I know, I, I, was all, I was very pro-Romney in 2012. I Thought he seemed like a really solid guy to run the country. He wouldn't have been awesome on Jimmy Kimmel or anything like that, but it, he would have run the country well and been smart. And that's what I want. And he's got a lovely family and seems like a very decent and you know kind human being of good character. I this, anyway, I, I know now I'm sounding like a, like Romney's number one number one fan or something. I'm not a fan of any politician. Remember, we've established that if nothing else over the last. 18 months or so that we should take a somewhat cynical or at least a uh, cautious view of any politician. We do not have we do not have heroes. We don't do hero worship. It is an it is an anti-conservative position to put all of your hopes and dreams in a human being. You should just think about their competency and hold them to account for their promises and try to make good choices about who you support. It's about it's a Not a question of what that support means about you to your friends and your family and everyone else. It's what that support translates into with regard to policy and actions in government. We should care about action. We shouldn't care as much about perception, personal branding. That's what so much of this all boils down to. So you'll notice that there's sort of this fear, I think. That as the Trump trend, the Trump transition, by the way, is totally on schedule, all this stuff. And who cares if it's not on schedule? I mean, if it was a week behind, they'll figure it out. Uh, Just at at every point, this is just going to get. And I'm I'm realizing. Wow, that was loud. I'm realizing that they're not going to sort of burn themselves out on this. This is the new normal is just frothy mouthed, rabid Trump hatred from the media. I I think in perpetuity. I don't think it's going to go away. But the good part about this is that there's going to be a, a sort of mass inoculation of our collective psyche from Islamophobia, racism, misogyny, Islamophobia, racism, misogyny. That they will have sort of spent themselves. It will be done. It's not going to be the weapon for them politically that it has been up until now. Those who have said that Trump represents a stand against political correctness, I think this is the way in which that statement is most true. They couldn't destroy him, they're not going to destroy his advisors, and they're not going to destroy his administration with those claims. They may find other stuff. Am I a little worried that there's going to be some Trump blunders that are tough to defend? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but let's just say I'm not expecting this to be a squeaky squeaky clean and well-oiled machine of limited government and constitutionalism. But it's a whole lot better than a Hillary administration, everybody. I think we can all come around to that conclusion. I think it has started to sort of settle into uh, our our minds in general on the right, conservative, conservatarian, libertarian uh, you know, I don't know whatever else we want to put in there, Republican, how about that? Uh, it settled in our minds that yeah it was we, we really got lucky that Hillary didn't win. I mean, I shouldn't say lucky because it required a lot of work, and the Trump campaign had to do a lot of stuff. I had to withstand a tremendous amount, but it's all going to be fine. We'll figure it out one way or another. And there's such an obvious movement afoot to create a perception in the public that it's not all going to be fine. It doesn't matter what Trump does. I'm actually at the point now where I think that Trump could start to make overt gestures to the left that should upset the right. And a lot of the media will still, they'll say it's a, you know, it's a, it's a faint, it's fake, it's phony, it, don't trust him. You know, they, they hate him so much. They hate him so much. Wow. This was a guy who, uh, just to, I, I just want to point this out really quickly. You have, uh, and this is a hat tip Jonah Goldberg for this on National Review. Um, you have Jamel Bowie who writes for Slate, wrote a piece titled, There's No Such Thing as a Good Trump Voter, uh, likening some 60 million Americans to a racist lynch mob. This is a quote from Jonah's piece. Last year, who, Jonah's obviously a super never-Trumper, but he's just pointing this out. It's, it was amusing. Uh, last year, Bowie, remember, Bowie says there's no such thing as a good Trump voter now. Last year, he wrote an article with the headline, quote, Donald Trump is actually a moderate Republican, end quote. I mean, which is it, everybody? The left needs to figure this out. Is he a flip-flopping, squish phony or a hard-right Hitlerian lunatic? I, I need to know one. And, of course, we know Hitler comes from the left and he's a socialist, but they just pretend to. there's a, a an intentional ignorance of that history on the left. Nonetheless, it, it can only be one or the other, right? It's sort of like the Bush administration. Is George Bush a total moron or is George Bush some sort of Uh, Machiavellian genius who's destroying the country for some right-wing conspiracy, whatever. It can't be both. And with Trump, it can't be both. It can't be that he's on the one hand uh, a total phony sellout, flip-flopper and on the other, uh, the most conservative president since, well, I don't know. Some of them maybe think ever. He's not even conservative, as we all know, but, I mean, pushing conservative positions now. Doesn't that make him conservative, by the way? If you're a pre interesting question. philosophically, just think about it. If you're president, even if you don't believe necess- or even if you haven't lived a life of conservatism, but you push through conservative policy after conservative policy, does that make you conservative? He hasn't done it yet. I'm just putting that out there. We'll go to a break. We'll be right back.
5: Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
0: The truth. This is Buck Sexton
5: on the Blaze Radio Network
3: team. We're joined now by John Lott. He is the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's also the author of The War on Guns, Arming Yourself Against Gun Control Lies. John, great to have you.
6: Well, great to talk to you again, Buck.
3: Uh, So, John, you've got a new study out that talks about uh, disparities by uh, racial disparities when it comes to police shootings Walk us through what you found out.
6: Sure. Well, it's been a really major project to put the data together. We have all the shootings in the United States by police uh, over a three-year period from 2013 through 2015. It turns out that the FBI data is missing about 1,333 shootings over that period of time. The Centers for Disease Control data is actually missing even more. And um, there's a, a number of remarkable things that you find when you look at this. We have not only um, the race and characteristics of the person who's shot. We also know whether they were involved in a crime when they were shot. We know whether they were armed. Uh, we know a lot of information about the police, not all of it, them though. We know generally the race of most of the police officers, their gender, their age, the amount of time that they've been on the police force. One of the things that was interesting is um, we initially had to rely on news reports to get a lot of the information of the police officers. And when you have a white officer, uh, the news reports will mention the race of the officer involved in the shooting. But when you have a black officer who is involved in the shooting, the news reports were, will rarely mention the race of the police officer uh, who was involved in the shooting. But what we wanted to try to do is to see whether white or black officers were more likely to end up shooting um, a black suspect after you've tried to account for, you know, whether the person was armed, whether they were involved in commission of crime. Uh, And we didn't find any difference really uh, between black officers shooting blacks or white officers shooting black. If anything, there was some evidence that black officers were more likely to shoot black suspects than than white officers were. But there was a lot of interesting things that we found in terms of what affected the rate that people would get shot. One is the number of officers on the scene. If you have two officers on the scene, there's about a 20% lower probability of somebody being shot than if you just have one officer on the scene. Uh, unionization of police departments tended to be associated with a, over a 20 percent increase in the rate that people were were being shot, um, obviously, whether they were armed or not. And, um, uh, you know, those were just some of the th- things that we were able to find.
3: Those are some pretty interesting stats. I got to ask, how is it possible that there were h- how many uh, homicides not in the FBI or not homicides, how many shootings not in the FBI data? That's, it seemed like a lot.
6: Yeah, no, it's it's 1,333 over a three-year period of time. So here's the problem, and that is um, we've had all this discussion in the media about the FBI data on justifiable homicide. The problem is, is that police departments can't be forced to go and or aren't being required to go and provide this data to the FBI. Plus, the FBI data really has no information at all in it about the characteristics of the officer, and has only very minimal information about the characteristics of the person who's been shot. So you have no information there on whether the the person who was shot was armed with a gun or with a knife when they were shot. You have no information in there on whether or not the person was involved in a violent crime, you know, whether he was trying to murder somebody when the police officer shot him, or whether Uh, you know, he was engaged in assault or rape or something at the time that he was shot. Those types of things, though, are important for understanding why the officer may have uh, ended up having to shoot the person. If, If the person was assaulting and beating on someone and the officer wasn't able to get there to stop him quickly enough, maybe shooting was the only option that the police officer had.
3: Why do you think this data – you're a guy who lives in the data, right? This is this is what you do, John. Why aren't right. they co- – this would seem to be essential to getting these debates that are happening, these national discussions on police shootings and race and racism and institutional racism. The data seems to be essential. Why, why can't they just – why aren't they collecting it? Is there a – is it a resource issue or is it is it a they don't seem to care issue?
6: Well, there's <clears> – <throat> You know, I suppose to some extent police departments are a little bit reticent to go and give out this data, but I have to say um, there's a lot of data problems with the FBI data. So, for example, data that's even worse is the justifiable homicides by civilians. Uh, You know, you often hear the claim by gun control organizations that there's 300 uh, justifiable homicides each year in the United States, and they'll go and they'll say, well, that's Shows that uh, civilians don't use guns very frequently for self-defense. The problem is uh, there's something like 85 to 90 percent of the police departments in the country each year don't even report that type of data, and even the ones that do report the data aren't very careful with what they report. So you may have a situation where somebody's shot and killed. And only later on that it's determined that it was a justifiable self defense. But the police department won't go back and go and fix the earlier data that it had given in to the FBI. You know, they just have only so much time and resources, and they don't put that as a high priority to go and fix that. I don't think in all those cases it's, it's uh, anything uh, nefarious that's involved there. It's just certain things that they care about getting right and other things that they don't.
3: John, where can everyone go, because we're, we're at time here, but where can everyone go to read more about uh, this report you've done?
6: Well, they can go to our website at crimeresearch.org, <clears throat> crimeresearch.org, and uh, the first link that we have there is on the new study that we've done.
3: John Lott is the author of The War on Guns, Arming Yourself Against Gun Control Lies. You can follow him on Twitter at John R. Lott Jr., and go check out the site that he just gave you. John, thanks for joining us today.
6: Great talking to you,
3: Buck. Take care. All right, team. Wow, it's already hour two. The show is flying by. 888-900-3393. A phone call from some Team Buck would make it fly even higher or faster, whichever is, or I guess those are both good things. Uh, So do give a call, and uh, we're going to be talking to a few more fun guests, and we're all over the place with this stuff. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Team, give me a few minutes. I'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. spreading freedom across the nation this is the buck sexton show
3: all right team welcome to hour two today in the freedom hut we're joined by betsy mccoy she's a former lieutenant governor of new york a constitutional scholar public policy expert and trump surrogate she's also a senior fellow at the london center for policy research betsy great to have you back
4: Thank you. I'm not a surrogate, but I'm an ardent supporter.
3: Oh, sorry. That was in your official bio here. I'm not a surrogate here. because I'm, I'm a
4: New York Post columnist, so I...
3: Ah, I got you. Me. Okay. Well, I'm going to... Uh, someone's going to get a code read, Betsy. There's going to be, no, going to no, be consequences no. for this.
4: I, I am so proud to say I've been a, an ardent Donald Trump supporter from the beginning. In fact, I was just listening to a, a show that I did as the host. I was subbing in for our great friend, Laura Ingram. And uh, I was talking about Donald Trump when, when he first came on the stage as one of 17 candidates, and there were so many arguments, should they even let him on the stage? And I said, look at this man. He is so talented, and he will bring all those skills to turning our economy around and uh, uh, cutting through the enormous bureaucracy in Washington. He's going to be terrific.
3: Well, let's talk about the uh, where we are with the transition and the picks that he has made that have been announced today. I just wanted you to give me your sense of why these are – oh, first of all, what do you think about these decisions, and uh, what else are you expecting in the days ahead?
4: Well, let me start first by saying I was very disappointed to see the left still adhering to their old playbook and calling anyone with whom they disagree a racist, a xenophobe you know, that whole basket of deplorables that they brought out during the campaign, they dragged it out again to to attack Steve Bannon, who I think is a really terrific first pick, along with Reince Priebus. So I, I just wanted to put that on the record. Steve Bannon is going to be an enormous resource for Donald Trump, and he's a man of integrity. He was a former naval officer. And uh I think that those accusations. I read the New York Times front page story where they use that term "accused racist." I read the whole article, and there wasn't one thing in there that even substantiated that kind of accusation.
3: What? Yeah, this this uh, meme, and I think it is a meme that's out there that there's all these white nationalist ties into both Bannon and the Trump campaign. I never see anything material. I I just want to say I I never see anything that actually. Other than a few anonymous Twitter accounts, which who cares? That means nothing. Where is the white nationalist tie or even advocacy of white nationalist issues?
4: Exactly. These are just the same false accusations that they use against people when they have nothing of substance to say. And really, the nation sees through it. That's why the left lost the election, because all those accusations, xenophobe, bigot, racist, sexist, people just saw that these were empty empty words.
3: Now, we have in today Pompeo for the CIA, uh, Flynn as national security advisor, Sessions as attorney general. Uh, are there any other slots that you feel strongly about who Donald should put forward? Or do you have any thoughts on you know how, how that's going so far in terms of the transition? I think
4: he has a long list of capable people. It's to his credit that now that he's a President-elect rather than a candidate. He is looking across the entire spectrum, even inviting in for conversations, and in some cases, possibly nominations, people who did not stand with him at the beginning. What what better indication is there that this man has put uh, partisan scrapping aside to work in the best interest of the nation?
3: Even though we saw a lot of really nasty, one-sided, and, and clearly partisan stuff from the media during the primary, there is a part of me, and I just wonder how you feel about this, that is taken aback yet again, despite very low expectations, by the way the media covers this transition process. You, you oh, would think I'm that, you. that he'd have I'm a few days away maybe to it. make up his mind. <laughs> oh no, it's, the, the world's coming to an end because he's a day behind schedule.
4: That's right. Not that he even is a day behind schedule, but that's right. I've been watching some of the cable news networks, and all they can do is go negative, right? You know that if they were covering a Hillary Clinton transition, it would be one puff piece after another on all these wonderful nominees. (laughs) But as I said, the public sees through this now.
3: You think the public finally realizes that
4: there oh, is no? Oh, they do. They, they did. Uh, the, they went to the polls and they voted out not only Obamacare, not only the big spending uh, giveaway government, but they voted out the the entire liberal Hollywood Washington, D.C., Wall Street establishment.
3: Well, what do you think about bringing back an establishing figure like Mitt Romney into the circle? You think that that's I feel like unity for the Republican Party would be a good thing. And there are some ways that Donald Trump could achieve it during this transition period based on some of his picks.
4: Well, my understand is they're going to be playing golf again this weekend. Is that it?
3: I've heard that I think or that they're hanging yeah, out this weekend. Well, I don't know what they're going to do. They're yeah. Hanging
4: out. Right. Maybe on the golf course if the weather's good. And uh, I think that they, at the least, Mitt Romney has a lot of information and a lot of perspective to share with Donald Trump and vice versa. Who knows if he's really going to be appointed to a position in the administration or whether he would take it. But what could what possibly could be lost by not taking advantage of that man's experience?
3: So you've been following every all things Trump very closely. And as you said, from the beginning, you've been a believer Oh, from
4: the very beginning. I was so after all, as a New Yorker, I remember what Donald Trump did for this city long before he had his eye on politics. He took a defunct, dilapidated, uh, bankrupt skating rink, and literally the city had tried six or seven different contractors to get the thing fixed up, and year after year it was broken. And he turned it around under budget and ahead of schedule. Then he did the same thing with the carousel in our big central park. Then he built a huge public golf course. I mean, he... New Yorkers understood that this man had the ability to really succeed at whatever he touched. And he operates some 185 profit-making ventures around the world. I remember when the two candidates, Clinton and Trump, first filed their financial disclosure statements. I looked at Hillary's. It was just a long list of speaking engagements. She's the, the blabber. And then I looked at this Donald Trump the Builder, 185 ventures all around the world. People were even hiring, hiring him to manage businesses he didn't own because he did a good job at it.
3: So what do you expect or what do you hope Trump will tackle in his first 100 days?
4: Well, taxes for sure. Uh, that's critically important. Our, as you know, our economy has been... Uh, a, limping along at 1.2% growth over the last year. And never once during the Obama administration has it reached 3% growth, whereas 3.5% was the norm during our 20th century. So in order to ignite the economy, to jumpstart the economy, Donald Trump has proposed slashing corporate and other business taxes by over 50%. Uh, That's critical because the companies in this country pay among the highest taxes in the world, and it's a big global disadvantage for them. So slashing taxes for individuals and businesses has got to be very much on the top of the agenda, and also sweeping away job-killing regulations, including, you guessed it, Obamacare, the biggest job killer of all of them.
3: What do you make of this uh, story that a, what is it, a Ford plant that may have been relocated in Mexico is now going to stay in the U.S.? I, I see people saying that Trump is saying that, that he had, at least had some hand in reassuring Ford that that's the right move? Or what's the latest well, with that? Well,
4: and I'm sure that many other companies are going to reconsider as well. The combination of the huge tax advantages that Donald Trump's administration will offer, even handedly, not, not targeted at particular companies, but across the board, a far more favorable tax rate, is also going to bring in as much as $2.9 trillion dollars it's so much money, it's hard to even imagine. Trillion dollars in corporate profits that are parked overseas because companies don't want to bring it back and pay 35, 36, 39% tax on it. But he's going with to, the, with the consent of Congress, with the cooperation of Congress, he's going to offer those companies a holiday where they can bring it back at a far lower rate. And bringing trillions of dollars into this nation will provide so many jobs that will pay for the infrastructure spending.
3: So you are really hopeful. I mean, you're not cautiously optimistic. You are definitely very hopeful about what Trump can do for the economy pretty
4: quickly. Oh, yes. And by the way, I'm not just the hopeful one. Take a look at what's happened to the stock market since he was elected.
3: Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when the Dow plunging the night of the election was evidence of Trump's, uh, of the doom that was impending for this country because of Trump. And now I don't hear anything about, it. there's no connection between Trump's victory and the stock market.
4: And by the way, Read Barron's, read The Economist, read uh, Bloomberg, read all the different financial uh, publications. Economists everywhere are suddenly readjusting their growth figures and saying, yes, America can exceed 2% growth. That was what Hillary Clinton was trying to sell us on 2% growth into the indefinite future. I mean, nobody can live on that. We cannot afford to settle for such low growth in this country, and Donald Trump understood that.
3: On the individual tax rates, by the way, he's he's not well, – what's he going to do for just those of us who have to pay Uncle Sam every year?
4: You're all going to get – everybody's going to get tax breaks. And the most meaningful breaks are going to go to people at the lower end of the spectrum. You have to lower taxes for everybody. But the fact is, if you take a look at it – I had, you had the figures in front of me earlier today. A uh, uh, Somebody earning $50,000 a year is going to say save- – A couple of thousand dollars in their pocket at the end of the year to take their family on a vacation. Yeah,
3: that would be nice. I'd like to have more money. I think I pay way too much money to the government. I live here in New York City. It's ridiculous. That's what the Trump
4: victory means. More money in your pocket.
3: (laughs) I like it. I'll take it. And hopefully health care gets cheaper and better too.
4: Right. Whereas the Democrats seem to think they're much smarter and they can spend your money better than you can. Actually,
3: last one for you, Betsy, and then I know you're busy, we'll let you get back to everything else you got going on. But you're a health care policy expert. Okay, Trump. Repeal, let's say Trump repeals as much of Obamacare as he can through with Congress, the reconciliation, and he goes back on some of the executive orders. What is, what is Trump health care, or what does health care in America under a Trump presidency look like in terms of its differences from Obamacare?
4: Oh, I'm so excited. No employer mandate. That means that if you're out looking for a job, or or you work part-time and you've been pushed down to 25 hours, you're going to get more hours back. You're going to get a better job because the employer mandate has been discouraging employment. The Federal Reserve in New York just came out with a report that service companies, 17% of service companies, are putting a lid on their hiring, and 23% of manufacturers are limiting hiring because of the employer mandate. Getting rid of the employer mandate will enable companies to hire more people and pay them more wages.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show
5: on the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze
4: Radio Network. Whose streets
3: are streets, man? It's not my president, man. Whatever, it's, Trump's the worst, man. It's, it's just like march in the streets and let's just like never shower and just be upset about stuff because Trump. I, I think that's a decent summary of most of the protests I've seen here in New York City. It's like just like. Yeah, he says he like he's totally cool with LGBT rights and people but like he hates them, man. Based on what exactly? But it, it again, I I guess that doesn't really matter. You've got all these protesters out there protesting the results of an election. Okay. It's kind of a weird thing the you know it, 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 there's no awareness raising it needs to be done. 60 million people voted one way, 60 million people voted another way, right? I mean, we don't, we don't really have to. <laughs> everyone, it's not like, oh, it's like hey, do you know there was a presidential election, man, and Trump won? It's like, yeah, everyone knows. We, we there's no raising awareness; it needs to be done. We we all know, we all get it. So, there's that. Um, but you'd think that maybe, maybe the current occupant of the Oval Office would just tell everyone, like, this is really the word of the day: chill. Everyone just needs to chill out a little bit. Okay, it's gonna be it's gonna be all right. It's not, not the end of the world. No matter how left wing you are in this country, you know no one's kicking in your door and grabbing you because you know you believe in climate change or something. Well, I don't even know what the fears are really. Uh, no U.S. citizen is going to be deported because of his or her religion or any of that stuff. U.S. citizens, and other people don't really have the same rights. So let's that's the way it works. You know, illegals are illegal. Okay, um, but Obama. Obama weighed in on this one, classic Obama fashion, sort of less helpful than he could have been, I think is a fair way to put it. Play clip three, please.
1: One of the great things about our democracy is it expresses itself in all sorts of ways. Uh, And that includes people protesting. Uh, I've been the subject of protests during the course of my eight years, and I suspect that There's not a president in our history that at some point hasn't been subject to uh, these protests. Um, So uh, I would not advise people who feel strongly uh, or are concerned about uh, some of the issues that have been raised during the course of the campaign. I wouldn't advise them uh, to be silent.
3: Could he advise them to use less profanity in the presence of children and old people on the street who are just trying to go about their business? I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just wondering, you know, is that, does the coarseness of our discourse matter when it is directed at Republicans or Donald Trump? Nah. Of course not. Oh, look what I just did there. Uh, It's very annoying. Very annoying. It, it's the same Hypocrisy plague that the left suffers from on any number of issues. Burning a flag when there is a Republican president is a show of patriotism and the First Amendment, right? Burning a flag when Obama's president is racist. But also, Republicans don't burn flags because we respect the flag and those who fought for it. It's a little different. We have a different mentality about that whole flag thing. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying. It all changes, right? The anti war movement under Obama magically disappeared. Where's the? There's like a couple of code pin crazies. At least they're consistent, but the other ones just magically disappear. All right, war in Afghanistan, war in Iraq, bombing, bombing bad guys all over the place. And, yeah, bombing people that we don't even mean to bomb, too. That happens. That's, that's also going on under this president. Not a lot of concern about that. Just wait until you have a Republican commander-in-chief, and all of a sudden it'll be like, Trump lied, babies died, and there'll be all kinds of stuff, all kinds of idiot protesting going on. Uh, the protests that I've seen around the country are hysterical. You would, uh, hysterical not, well, actually they are both full of hysterics and they're hysterical in the sense that sometimes it's really funny how how dumb they are. I think Obama could very easily say to people, hey, sure, raise issues, but be respectful. You know, there's, the the election results are in. Be respectful of each other. Let's keep the, you know the horrific accusations and the and the fear mongering to a minimum, and if you want to discuss issues publicly, of course that's your right. And there was just a better way to say it. It was a little, it's a little more, a little more pandery to the protesters than well, it's Obama, so what, what do you expect? Of course he's going to pander to these anti-Trump protesters. He also said something yesterday, and I just I had to take note of it for a second that uh, he hopes that Trump takes the job of president seriously, or else he's not going to be in office long. I, you know, I know Trump is a is an unusual character and i get all that i'm pretty sure he's going to take the job of president seriously uh i don't really know what other what other option there is uh you know it's there's going to be a time when a president trump is tested challenged of course this is what all these i mean political analysts say and oh within the first six months of his presidency he will be tested but there's going to be some really serious stuff that he has to tackle. It's going to be a lot more serious than being the guy who runs The Apprentice or any of his private sector ventures. I don't think he needs to be told that he needs to take the job seriously, but that's Obama allegedly being helpful. So, there's that. 888-900-3393. The phone lines, they are open, my friends. Uh, do give a ring. Got to go into a break, and then we will be right back.
5: The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Uh, Mike Flynn with the whole RT thing. I will say, if because I, uh, I keep it one hundred on the show. Um, I was asked many times early on in my career to go on RT to talk about national security stuff, and I declined. So, and I declined because of what RT is. And
4: so it's a little
3: like oh, not great that Flynn was a paid RT contributor and went to their gala. I, it's not disqualifying for me, but it's not great. But loyalty gets rewarded in the Trump campaign apparently, and so he's not going to be national security advisor. Oh, we're very fortunate to be joined now by Heather McDonald. Uh, she is a Manhattan Institute senior fellow and author of the book "The War on Cops." We can talk to her about her latest pieces. Heather, great to have you.
7: Thanks for having me on, Buck. I appreciate it. Uh, so,
3: police finally have a friend in the Oval Office. This is dot org. Do tell. What do you think the change in tone and tenor from the White House is going to be now?
7: It's massive, and it's absolutely essential. It, we, it, we may be walking back from the precipice of the breakdown of law and order. President Obama, for the last three years at least, has been pumping out a false narrative about criminal justice system in general, and in police in, per- in particular, he takes every opportunity to accuse the police of lethal racism against blacks, uh, pr- promoting the Black Lives Matter narrative that we're living through an epidemic of racially biased police shootings. That narrative is completely false. It's dangerous. It's resulting in a massive crime increase above all in inner cities. And uh, Donald Trump, during his campaign, was very explicit uh, in saying that this narrative has to end and that he understood the threat to law and order that was posed by the Black Lives Matter movement. So the fact that that narrative uh, will not have an echo chamber any longer in the White House is going to make a huge difference, I think, to the willingness of cops to once again engage in the type of proactive policing that is so necessary in high-crime areas and that saves minority lives.
3: I think it's interesting as well that there's been a lot of hysteria after the Trump uh, victory that specifically has to do with people saying they feel unsafe, which I think to any normal rational adult seems like at, at at best hyperbole but given the narrative of the last few years uh, from the Black Lives Matter movement and one that has been given credibility by the White House, it is understandable how some people who believe that would then believe I suppose that they're in they're in greater jeopardy under a Trump administration because they believe the lie in the first place that police officers are hunting. Uh, primarily young black men, and this is an epidemic across the country. If you believe the one what I'm saying, I can understand how you'd continue to believe it and think that it would uh, worsen under a Trump administration. So I, I think that's where some of the hysteria is coming from.
7: Well, that's um, extremely open-minded of you, Buck, and that, that may be right. In In my experience, this rhetoric of being unsafe, which grew out of the campuses, Oh, yeah. is absolutely unrelated to anything that you could plausibly argue uh is an actual physical threat you know it's it's a it's a delusional perception of what is called institutional racism on college campuses. a perception that is a hundred percent wrong because there's not a single selective college in America today that isn't practicing massive racial preferences in order to try and get as many black and hispanic students as these colleges can get their hands on into into their student body but but i suppose yes if you if you do believe the black lives matter narrative that we've got an epidemic of racist police shootings uh one could possibly in good faith think that trump was going to uh, empower the cops to shoot black males even more uh out of bias right. still very but wrong I, I, it just seems
3: like it might be a ling- might be a lingering after effect of, of a narrative that's uh, that's received far too much Uh, credibility from both the media and from and by the way, I I always commend you uh, for being willing to go on uh, various networks. I don't have to name any specifically right now, but various networks and take the heat from people who just don't care when you present them with the facts on this. It it does not matter. It it doesn't compute. It doesn't penetrate. They just want to lecture, well, you and the rest of America, me, everybody, about how racist the cops are all the time. And it does seem like Donald Trump is going to at least put something of a stop to that.
7: Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, people are very invested in racial victimology, and it it provides an excuse not to look at the serious problems that are are causing crime to be so disproportionate in minority neighborhoods. So, you know, it's kind of amazing to me. Trump gave a fabulous speech uh, in August in West Bend, Wisconsin, following the anti-cop riots in Milwaukee where he was the only one of of the presidential candidates to say, look at, something's going on here, black lives are being lost at a record rate thanks to police backing off. And he was immediately denounced as a racist for saying that. The website Crooks and Liars said his speech was a mashup of George Wallace and Hitler. So, and, and President Obama said, oh, well, uh, this crime increase, which was the largest one-year increase in homicides last year in nearly half a century, Obama said, well, it's just a blip in a few cities. In other words, black lives don't matter. Uh, so it's, it's quite remarkable uh, how, how invested people are in, in believing that the, the threat to blacks in America today comes from other whites as opposed to from criminals.
3: What are the cities, by the way, for those listening and and who are curious, and I I know you've pulled the numbers on this and and analyzed them, but what are the cities that have been hit the hardest in terms of violent crime increases over either the last year or the last two years?
7: Well, it's black cities with large black populations. In 2015, homicides in Washington, D.C. were up 54%. In Milwaukee, they were up 73%. And in Cleveland, they were up a, a whopping... 90% 90% in September 2015 in Cleveland, three children under the age of five were shot dead in in uh, drive-by shootings, leading the black police chief there to break down in tears, saying everybody protests when the police kill a black person. Why don't we ever protest when one of us kills one of us? This year... Chicago is the prime example of what I've called infamously the Ferguson effect, which is the double phenomenon of officers backing off of proactive policing and crime shooting through the roof. Pedestrian stops there, known as stop, question, and frisk, are down 82%, uh, 50% increase in homicides this year, 50% increase in shootings. That's over last year's about 15% increase in homicides 37 people have been shot, 3,700 3, people have been shot this year. That's one person every two hours. The vast majority of them black. There was a three-year-old boy shot on Father's Day of this year who's now paralyzed for life in a, one of these mindless drive-by shootings. Ten-year-old Tavon Tanner shot over Labor Day weekend. The bullet ripped through his kidney, spleen, and intestines. Now, if you believe Black Lives Matter activists, because the majority of these 3,700 people who've been shot this year have been black, you'd think, boy, those cops must be really out of control there. You know, they must be shooting everybody, all these black people in Chicago. Well, the cops so far has shot about 19 people. That's all of them armed and dangerous. That's 0.5% of the total. So... You know, the Black Lives Matter narrative is so poisonously wrong.
3: Yeah, Uh, look, I I totally agree with you. And I'm really happy that you're out there doing the work you're doing to just present people with with the facts and and the numbers on these things. But of course, as as you know, many revered columnists at different papers and uh, TV pundits and uh, journalists alike don't care. And they're going to keep pushing this stuff. I just want to ask you, uh, Heather, before we before we let you go, uh, most important things that Donald Trump can do first. Hundred days in office for law enforcement community and and to combat violent crime in this country. What are they?
7: I would say give a speech saying the cops are the things that are protecting people in the inner cities. Uh, I am not going to put out phony statistics uh, blaming that that uh, purport to show that the police are racist. I'm going to back officers where it's justified. If if there's an officer who should be off of force, of course. My Justice Department will look into that, but I'm going to have standards of review that take into account crime rates. Um, But frankly, but policing and crime are overwhelmingly local matters. The feds don't have a whole lot of effect, uh, and when they get involved, they screw up things as much as as solve them. So this is, frankly, less a matter of federal policy and more a matter... And Trump just has to let it be known that he is no longer an ally of the Black Lives Matter movement. He will not be inviting uh, its leaders to the White House, uh, but will be inviting crime victims, people who understand the the necessity of, of police in their communities.
3: Heather McDonald is a Manhattan Institute Senior Fellow. She is also the author of The War on Cops, available on Amazon and in bookstores. Uh, You can read more at Manhattan Institute or Manhattan Institute.org. Heather, great to have you. Thanks for all the work you do. We appreciate it.
7: I appreciate it, Buck. Thank you. Uh,
3: 888 900 3393, team. We will be right back.
5: Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. show
3: according to the american heart association team americans age 40 and over don't produce enough nitric oxide and they're only producing 50 percent of the levels they did at age 20 now this is a bunch of science i'm dropping because i want to tell you about our sponsor this hour super Beats. look beets are a nutrition gold mine they've got all kinds of awesome vitamins minerals electrolytes and dietary nitrates Beet juice is rich in, rich in nitrates, but do you really want to drink beet juice? No, Super Beets gives you the benefit benefits, <laughs> benefits of three whole beets in just one teaspoon. And Super Beets has no beet taste. It is delicious. It's not sugary. It's not like some energy drink, and it doesn't make me crash because it is all natural. I'm very confident in telling you that you should try this out. I know that I feel an energy boost from it. I think it is fantastic. So give this product a go. Uh, please call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com, 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com. You get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister guaranteed or your money back, 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com. Joe in Texas, what is up? Hey Buck, how are you? Hey. Hey, uh, long time
8: listener, first time caller. Kind of got a conflicting schedule with the I work night, so it's hard to hard to get a hold of you.
3: Well, thank you for being a part of the team, Shields. Hi, Joe. What's up?
8: I uh, just wanted to quickly comment on the the police anti police, uh I guess, rhetoric going on across the country and. uh Long story short, um, I'm a veteran. served I'm a seven years in the the army. Got out. I'm currently a police officer in Texas. And the the only thing I could really would like to add to everything you and all of your guests have have already said is I think a a big thing about all these protests with the election and the police and is the the disconnect, I guess, with people from each other, really, like everyone's wrapped up in their own little reality, and no one sees the the human element in each other is kind of kind of what I've come to see uh, in my my short professional career, and I' just like to say that with everybody that says you know cops are out there looking to hurt everybody, and just, I'll, there, there's no officer that I know that wakes up in the morning and decides, hey, you know, let me go shoot somebody in the head.
3: Yeah, absolutely not. And by uh, the way, that's a very small, as you know, Joe, it's a very small minority of people that believe any of this crap about, you know, the Black Lives Matter, or the hunting of young black men, that go, all that stuff. Uh, they're just a noisy minority, and they're given a lot of airtime by the media, and they're given uh, they're given sort of pandering uh, statements by senior politicians in the Democratic Party in this country. So it's it's unfortunate. But Joe, thank you for your service, and thank you for your, thank you for trying to keep the streets safe. Shield time, man. Uh, yeah. So law enforcement's going to be feeling a little different, I think, under a Trump presidency. And that's really when I asked Heather before about what Trump can do. I mean, that's kind of what I'm, I I figured she would say a speech, and, and that's I think the just setting a new tone. Um, but but also I would point out, and not that I'm telling Heather a business. She's an expert on law enforcement, uh, you know, analysis issues. I think that they could probably get the DOJ to stop coming down and uh, going after all of these local police departments under the guise of civil rights investigations when in reality they're always sort of looking to justify claims of institutional racism uh the doj could stop doing that that would be helpful unless there's real cause for it and in some of these instances it seems like they were going overboard trying to find some excuse to uh give federal oversight of these local departments hour three coming up
5: The Buck Sexton Show.
0: Only on the Blaze Radio Network. spreading freedom across the nation this is the
5: buck sexton show
0: all right team
1: welcome
3: to hour three it is freestyle friday we're all over the place lots of topics lots of folks guests calls oh my joined now by caitlin collins she is the daily caller's entertainment editor she's got a whole bunch of pieces we're going to run through them caitlin Thank you for calling in, bringing me up to speed on entertainment things, so that I can sound cool to my friends on the weekend. I appreciate it. <laughs>
2: well,
3: Although maybe for having
2: me, how's it going?
3: Yeah, you're, you're you're not a magician, so maybe you can't do that for me. But at least you bring me up to speed, and so you know I won't use uh, woke in, in, you know improperly. Yeah,
2: right, I like, can only do so much.
3: Like I was like, if I tell my friends I was so woke this morning, they're like, no, no, they don't. No, apparently that's no, not that's how totally it Totally wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: I'm told that's totally wrong. Uh, Speaking of woke, uh, Kanye West, if I would have voted, it would have been for Donald Trump. What the what?
2: Yeah, I think he shocked everyone at his concert in California last night when he admitted that he didn't vote and people cheered. But then he was like, let me finish my sentence first, because if I would have voted, I would have voted for Donald Trump. And of course, most Kanye West fans are not Donald Trump fans. And there were a lot of boos from the crowd maybe a few cheers here and there, but the crowd turned on him a little bit whenever he said that he would have supported Donald Trump. It's actually pretty funny because back in March, there was this anonymous report that someone had been on the same plane as Kanye and they had overheard him saying that he really liked Donald Trump. And this is when Trump was still the front runner in the Republican primary. And he said he wasn't going to vote, but he did support Donald Trump on this plane ride. And then that's actually what he did.
3: Well, look at that. I feel like one mogul, one brash, rich, uh, self-indulgent, narcissistic mogul supporting another doesn't doesn't really surprise, shouldn't surprise anybody at least.
2: Right. I feel like they're pretty similar people. I was just saying that earlier today. And Kanye West also said he's going to make good on his promise to run for president in 2020. And I think now that Donald Trump won, he actually thinks he has a chance at this and he might actually genuinely run for president in four years
3: if kanye west ran for president he wouldn't get an insignificant portion of the democratic party's vote i actually believe that i I think i don't know what it would be but it wouldn't be like less than one percent i think he'd hit double digits pretty quickly i don't think kanye would be a complete i look i think kanye would do better than uh than gary johnson
2: oh without a doubt but he probably i mean hopefully kanye west actually knows where aleppo is so he might have a better chance already
3: dang that's cold (laughs)
2: <laughs> what is Aleppo?
3: I still of of, of a campaign and uh, of an election cycle that was insane to say the least. That was one of the most jaw dropping moments. Actually, there I were still... there were
2: so many this season that you forget about them. I was thinking about that the other day. But yeah, as someone who voted for Gary Johnson in the last election, I feel like I have the liberty to say that.
3: Oh, yeah, uh, you voted for Gary Johnson last election? Oh wow! I
2: voted for Gary Johnson for the first Look time I was this. voting ever.
3: Interesting, interesting. Collins, we're learning all kind of new things about you here. All right, uh, we got another oh, yeah. one here. This is this gives me the sad the sad face. Duck Dynasty is done after eleven seasons. I guess fi- I guess there's only so much you can watch of a bunch of guys with beards being like, "Let's go duck hunting."
2: I mean, yeah, I think they ran out of ideas after they were like teaching like their daughter how to drive and things like that at the show. I think they just kind of ran out of stuff to do. I mean, eleven seasons is a long time, um, but I think it kind of came as a surprise to a lot of the fans. I mean, they're filming or they're Airing the eleventh season right now, so I think those Doug Dynasty hardcore fans are a little upset about it. But apparently, it was the family's decision. They they figured eleven years was long uh, that, That's
5: enough.
3: an incredibly long run for any show. I mean, to to be fair, that's that's a, a wildly successful run for a TV show. And I know the ratings, especially in the beginning, were huge on it. I forget the gentleman's name, but the older gentleman, who's one of the I, I don't know one of the guys, uh, is hilarious. What's his name? Sai.
2: S-I, si, Yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, it is crazy. The show's been on for five years. Seems longer than that.
3: Yeah, I know. Insane stuff. Oh, speaking of uh, of the crazy, Paris Hilton voted for Donald Trump. This is unsurprising yes, yet again. Did. I feel like, of course she did.
2: Right. I know. people. I, I was reading on Twitter yesterday, and a lot of people, I got a really surprised reaction from people, and I don't think it's so surprising at all. I mean, obviously, she's in the Hilton family. Her family's been friends with the Trumps basically her whole life and i don't think it was surprising at all that she voted for him
3: no i i would expect i would expect that she would i'm sure that yeah that the hilton family the trump family know each other know each other well uh they're actually she grew up in new york city her little sister uh was very close friends with some of the some of the people that i knew here in the city and uh she was quite a partier i will have you know
2: yeah, I know. I'm kind of sad that we're like see, witnessing Paris Hilton in her like calm days. She's like got it all together. She's not, you know, making any headlines. You know, the only headline she makes is about who she votes for. But it was it was something they brought up during the um, campaign, which I thought was interesting. There was this remark Donald Trump made, of course, from that infamous Howard Stern interview, where he said that Paris Hilton was a beautiful little girl when she was like I think 12 or something, and people freaked out. They thought it was like really gross and icky that he said that. But um apparently there's no bad blood between them.
3: I guess not. Uh oh, you have this piece on the dailycaller.com dot com about Hillary's first appearance in public after losing. Uh she looked like she had been through been through a tough one. Is that that's the that's the consensus? She looked like she had lost
2: the presidential election. Uh she looked really rough um in her first public appearance. She spoke at a charity event for the Children's Defense Fund, which she touted, you know, every five minutes on the campaign trail this year. And um, she looked a lot different, and a lot of people were really quick to notice that um, she just looked like she'd had a bad week. And I think whenever you think you're about to be president and you're not, it's a pretty bad week. I don't think it gets any worse than that.
3: Yeah, there were a lot of people. I mean, the, the stuff about the popping of champagne corks the day or the day after yeah. the day before the election already. First of all, if any, if I were, uh, if I were in the the position of a would-be president but the election hadn't happened and I saw anybody on my staff early celebrating they would they would be sent to some far off island never to be heard from again like that would be it they'd be dunzo for me so I think that is
2: the, the reaction at her party on election night was actually um somewhat comical because it was you know they they opened it to the public and they let everyone come. It was this big party. Everyone was excited. A lot of the media had already written their stories saying Hillary Clinton won, and they were drinking and hanging out. And then as the numbers started to come in and Florida happened, people were really stunned. And they like cut the footage of CNN at her party. And then meanwhile, at Donald Trump's you know, very small party, which was invite only, people were kind of like, wait, we, we think we have a chance here. And uh, it was pretty funny to see the reaction go completely from like this big high of in such confidence you know borderline arrogant and then they really you know got slapped in the face with reality
3: and uh one more here sarah silverman the i think wildly overrated comedian for whatever that's worth uh compared (laughs) I, i actually have the tweet here she wrote for a lot of people this is the great depression but this time it's emotional and physical our bodies are breaking down with fear and rage wah wah
2: Yeah, Sarah Silverman is not taking Hillary Clinton's loss well. Um, She compared it to the Great Depression. She is trying to empathize with the middle class, which is a little laughable. And it's funny. It's almost hypocritical because now, you know, she was this big Bernie Sanders supporter, said she was breaking up with Hillary Clinton, that she just, like, had a lot of differences differences with her and couldn't support her. And then when he lost the Democratic nomination, you know, she started – you know, campaigning for Hillary Clinton, spoke at the Democratic National Convention, and then now that Hillary Clinton lost, she's gone back to her Bernie stance, where she's saying, you know, Bernie could have saved us, basically, from this. And it's kind of funny that she's almost, you know, trashing the candidate that she was, you know, campaigning on behalf of.
3: And uh, my buddy, combat veteran Sean Parnell, responded to her tweet. She said, our bodies are breaking down with fear and rage. Sean uh, responded... I felt rage and fear, too, in Afghanistan, surrounded by the enemy, with my soldiers bloodied and wounded, but we didn't whine, we fought harder. 2,000 retweets, last I saw. So I think a, a fitting rejoinder to Sarah Silverman's whiny crybaby nonsense. Caitlin, some college football in the works for you this weekend. What are you going to be up to?
2: No, it's Cupcake Saturday in the SEC, so we don't play any crazy games because we have our big rivalry game coming up next week after Thanksgiving when we play Auburn in the Iron Bowl.
3: Ooh, and I'll Auburn! Definitely be there. I know that whenever people who like college football talk about Auburn, it's either with with love or with hate. It apparently gets them.
2: Mine is with pity, usually.
3: Oh man, snap! <laughs> you Auburn fans out there, at Caitlin Collins on Twitter, don't take it out on me. <laughs> Caitlin Collins is the Daily Caller's entertainment editor. I just said follow her on Twitter. It is well worth the click. Caitlin, thank you so much. Great to have you. Have a fantastic weekend.
2: Thanks, Buck. Have a great Friday. Uh,
3: Let's go to a break. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
3: All of our lines are lit up, so let's take some calls, team. We've got Greg in Iowa. What's up, Greg?
1: Yeah, hi, Buck. Uh, I I know you're a good friend of Glenn Beck's, and uh, I wanted to tell you about a little faux pas that Glenn's got in one of his gold ads, and it's just been eating at my craw, and I imagine the liberals are just laughing their butts off about it. Uh, He keeps talking about the India is uh, dropping the $10 bill. Well, in India, they have the rupee and a 10-rupee banknote is worth 14 cents. Well, I checked it all up, and their parliament seemed to uh, be uh, debating because it cost them 18.7 cents, according to one of their sources, uh, to make that note, and that's why they're dropping it. Well, Glenn makes it seem like it's some huge banknote, and we've got to watch out that our banknotes are not dropping. So if you see, Ben, just kind of put that bug in his ear. Another thing I had to say, Buck, Uh, is uh, I'm a little bit worried about Donald Trump. He's my man. Uh, Don't get me wrong. But uh, the problem I have with uh, Donald is he seems to be bleeding off our senators, our best, and our congressmen to fill his ranks on the uh, on the banks. And is that going to hurt us?
3: You mean some of the picks that he has? Some of these, like Jeff Sessions, I mean these Jeff are in very Sessions, I, uh, these are very safe seats. That uh, as far as I know, I, I haven't seen one yet that isn't a very safe seat for Republicans. So shouldn't be. I guess the
1: question, he, guess the question would be: Is, is uh, can the Republican replace these people in the Congress and the Senate with a Republican?
3: Uh, yes, I, I think the answer to the question is yes. I think that, so we're going to
1: be very safe with that.
3: Uh, well, I'm sorry. Is who going to be safe with that?
1: The American people are. going to be very safe. The Republican Party is going to be safe. That we aren't bleeding off our congressmen and our senators. Do, uh, yeah, there's always
3: more congressmen, Greg. Trump. Don't worry about yeah. it. We, we, we got plenty. There's plenty more where that came from. Trust me. Plenty of people want to be in power in D.C. We'll find somebody to take the reins for the. Uh, it depends on which specific uh, job we're talking about here. I mean, to to take. Jeff Sessions and make him the Attorney General.
1: A wonderful pick, by the way.
3: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, that's that's a, a worthwhile trade, I think. I mean, I think losing him from the Senate. And people were worried that it was going to, and I shouldn't say worried, they thought it might be Ted Cruz, which would have also gone a long way to sort of healing the never Trump divide, I think. But uh, others are very pleased that Cruz will stay in the Senate and will be kind of holding the Trump administration to account where it should on on conservative policy issues and, and legislation. So. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a very complicated. A lot of different ways we can take all this, but so far, the only pick that I'm a little that you know, I don't know if it was the best pick. I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. I just uh, Flynn came on my show. He was very nice. Um, he's a he's a patriot and he served his country very honorably. Um, is he the best person to be the national security advisor? Well, you know, if he gets along with Trump really well and he's loyal, and yeah, uh, I, I, I guess. I'm kind of still thinking about that one. I'm, I'm, I'm still the other ones, though, to me seem great. I mean, I think Pompeo, a CI director, is a really strong choice. I think Sessions, as the attorney general, is really strong. Um, the other ones that are being discussed right now, I know there's a lot of rumors, but they all seem like pretty legit, uh, legit options to me. So we'll see. And uh, I, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about with those rupee notes or whatever before. But uh, I guess I'll look into that. Greg from Iowa. Shields high, man. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Joe, it, well, actually, before we go to Joe in San Francisco, I just want to say that there's a cool chart in a Washington Post piece here that I wanted to mention, and it shows the change in the number of de- of elected Democrats since 2008. It is fascinating. They have lost 10.2% of Senate seats, 19.3% of House seats, 20.3% of legislatures, And 35.7% of governorships. Democrats have been bleeding political strength continuously since 2008. The only, the only exception to this, really, was Obama winning re-election. Other than that, when you look at the trajectory of the trend, this is why I think they've, they've realized if Hillary was in power. They could have sort of continued the Obama trajectory and she could veto anything that the Republican House and Congress or uh, House and Senate wanted to do, but they, they had they put all their eggs in one basket and it was a Hillary basket. It wasn't a very nice basket. Joe in San Francisco, you're on the Buck Sexton show. Good to talk to you, my friend. Welcome back. Shields high, Buck. Shields high.
9: Yeah, that Hillary basket is not good for holding eggs. That's clear. I think anyway, um, I was, uh, conflicted until the day of the election about whether I should vote for right in or Donald Trump, but I decided finally to vote for Donald Trump as a rebuke to the lying press, uh, the sanctimonious and wildly overrated Hollywood and the shrieking two minutes hate social justice warriors of the Academy um you know and i'd have to say that everything that has happened over the last week has confirmed to me that i did the right thing including president obama proving yet again until the bitter painful end that he has only one gear Um, about the only thing that i might miss about his presidency is if you decide you're going to stop doing uh, your obama impersonations you have to promise not to do that because they're perfect in tone. They're perfect in inflection, and most importantly, they're perfect in content. Um, one final uh, thing I could just add about you are far uh, too kind, Joe. But was... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no, it's all deserved, richly deserved, Buck, richly. Um, so, uh, I read an economics blog by a, ma- a website by a man called John Malden, and I would highly recommend it to you. It's he has. Some of the best analysis, it's not too complicated, but if you want to dig in and go for the complexity in the actual reports, you know, he includes things, um, auditors, reports from the IMF, and all sorts of things. And he had a long post uh, recently about a convention of um, Fed shares that occurs every year in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And this goes back to the elimination of the 10 rupee note, which is not a big deal. That sounds reasonable. But these Fed chairs. In Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which happened, I think, in August of uh, 2016, they were talking seriously about eliminating the $100 bill. Now, whether or not that would happen, and it was only talk, but, you know, um, there, there, is, there is risk out there. So I'd say to people, pay attention, read, keep your eyes open, your ears open. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to bolster your, your econ cred, I would suggest reading his blog. It's it's excellent. Uh, John malden uh, thoughts from the front line. And uh, that's it for me today. Thanks for taking my call.
3: Rock and roll, Joe. Shields high, man. Thank you for calling in. Good to talk to you. Um, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So much. It's so early to be judging the Trump administration because uh, there is no Trump administration yet. <laughs> Everyone's so freaked out. I do think, though, that everything we've seen since the election, and it just bears repeating, I know I've more or less said this to you already, it makes me feel better about my vote for Trump. Because, man, just think of it, just for a second. And I know it's like the weekend is coming, and I don't want to upset your stomachs before you have some delicious meal tonight, or you hang out, you know, have a couple of beers, whatever. Gluten-free sorghum ale, perhaps. Uh, The... Hillary president, think about where we'd be right now if we were sitting around talking about how, uh, which senior Democrats were going to be getting cabinet positions. You know, Elizabeth Warren as like, I don't know, Treasury secretary. I mean, just think about some of this stuff. It's kind of, I mean, for every time you start to think, oh, Trump, I don't you know, not conservative enough, whatever. I'm not saying cash that out, but to balance it out, at least think to yourself about what it would what it would feel like if, you know, Chuck Schumer was Secretary of State, Elizabeth Warren was Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Bernie Sanders was, I don't know, uh, National Security Advisor. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to be a role he gets, but you know what I mean? Just go through the list and think about Democrats in these jobs and what would that feel like? And that puts into perspective qu- pretty quickly, I think, even if there's some imperfect picks for the Trump cabinet. It's pretty good. It's gonna be. It's gonna be pretty good. I think we're all gonna be, in the end, uh, okay with it. Maybe even much more than okay. Hey, I'm hopeful, everybody. I'm hopeful. Um, we've got a cool science segment coming up. You're not gonna want to miss that. It's gonna be amazing.
5: The Buck Sexton Show on the Place Radio Network. <laughs>
3: All right, team, it's Friday. Let's have some fun with science. We're joined now by Professor of Planetary Sciences at MIT, Richard Brinzel. He's one of the world's leading scientists in the study of asteroids and Pluto, and he's part of the team that published a new paper suggesting that Pluto is harboring a hidden ocean beneath its frozen surface, containing as much water as all of Earth's seas. Professor Brinzel, thank you for calling us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, so, so, tell us, first of all, tell us a bit about Pluto, known as the dwarf planet. It's been downgraded. What's, what's going on with that? Well, dwarves are planets
10: too, as we like to say. Uh, Pluto is part of an, a, an entire zone of bodies out beyond Neptune. There's probably about a dozen Pluto like objects there. And uh, it doesn't matter what we call it, Pluto is a fascinating, fascinating place.
3: Tell us a bit about it before we get to the ocean beneath the surface. What are some of the basic things we should know? It's, what, 40 times more distant from the sun than the Earth is? Give us some fun facts.
10: Exactly. It's 40 times uh, away, further away than the Earth is. And so at that distance, uh, the temperature is about minus 400 Fahrenheit on average. And uh, what that means is that uh, almost everything is frozen, Uh, nitrogen that we have in the air of Earth is totally frozen on Pluto and water is uh, is so cold that water is as as hard as rock but we see Pluto's uh, covered with surfaces covered with different kinds of ices but there's this one very strange place, it's the heart of Pluto that many people have seen in those images and we think that heart was formed by originally formed by a giant crater that uh, big object that struck Pluto made a giant crater. These are the sorts of things that happen when you're a planet.
3: Now, the ocean beneath its frozen surface, how would that work, given that ocean liquid, so cold, people are probably wondering how does that happen? Uh, And also, what would that mean? How big a discovery is this?
10: Well, what we think uh, is going on is that Pluto has Just a little bit of heat inside, just like the Earth has a lot of heat that generates volcanoes and hot springs, uh, Pluto still has a little bit of that original heat. comes from radioactive elements in all the planets when we first formed. And uh, that that upper layer of ice adds sort of like a protective blanket. And just inside of Pluto, you can still get to a temperature of uh, uh, 32 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, get to the point where the the water can be uh, a liquid or at least slushy and maybe there's a little ammonia which is uh also president pluto acts as a little antifreeze and helps helps keep that one layer a little a little uh, slushy but not not all
3: frozen solid containing as much water though as all of the earth seas that seems like a lot
10: well we think this uh this layer that we think is liquid or slushy uh, is global And so uh, you've got a, uh, you know, a few, you know, a few thousand mile uh, diameter uh, planet out there. And if you can make roughly a 50 to 80 mile thick layer um, uh, everywhere throughout that whole ball, that's uh, that's a lot of liquid.
3: Now, you're also an expert in near Earth objects such as asteroids and comets, Uh, first of all. Your, your take on the movie Armageddon, uh, any, any actual interesting science in there, or is it just an excuse for Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis to uh, emote?
10: Mostly an excuse, uh, but the fact is that there are asteroids that over geologic timescales uh, do hit the Earth. So it is a science fact that from time to time... Uh, things hit the Earth. I mean, we get little meteor showers all the time, but the really big objects that uh, could threaten the Earth uh, happen. They do happen over sort of million-year timescales, um, but um, probably not in the uh, probably not in our lifetime. But uh, we're working on making sure we find all those to make sure we don't get caught by. Surprise.
3: Would we? Would we now? I do sound like I believe Armageddon. Sorry for this, professor. Would we know if something big was coming our way? And is there anything we could do to stop it? So, the
10: large objects we have found uh, about ninety percent of all the large objects out there that have any capability of of hitting the earth in the next few centuries. Um, so, for something really large at the moment we we wouldn't know a lot that we would do, but um, given enough time, uh, the idea is the basic idea is the most important thing we can do is find objects that might be hazardous. Find them many, many decades in advance and give us give ourselves plenty of time to think of a strategy for how to deal with it.
3: Well, what would those – the obvious next step, then, is we want to know what could we conceivably do to deal?
10: Well, probably Bruce Willis won't be available. But uh, if we have a lot of time, you could uh, think of um, trying to uh, do some sort of propulsion maneuver with it to try to nudge it just a little bit. Um, basically, if something is headed your way and it's going to be a problem in 50 years, if you can just give it a tiny, tiny nudge right now, then by the time it would loop around the sun many times and come close to the Earth, we could have it miss the Earth entirely.
3: And, uh, Professor, you'll have to excuse the question, but we have asked a few scientists, including one from NASA recently, in your opinion, chance that there is some form of life out there not yet discovered? High, low, you don't know?
10: Depends. Uh, I would be surprised if they're not. If there's not some other life in our, uh, perhaps in our solar system, but in the universe, it's, it's one of the great mysteries. Uh, life seems to be very special, but at the same time, we are made of the stuff that's the most common stuff in the universe, hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and carbon. And uh, so the ingredients of life are everywhere. And it's just a great question. Are we unique or are we commonplace? Um, I tend to think we're likely to find life elsewhere.
3: All right, Professor, we really appreciate it. Professor Richard Brinzel is uh, Professor of Planetary Sciences at MIT. He has published uh, a paper with a team of scientists that looks at Pluto in a new way. Professor, thank you so much. Have Have a good weekend.
10: My pleasure. You
3: too. I like talking about the space stuff because I don't know that much about it, and so it's my radio show, and if I can take an opportunity to learn some cool new stuff, that'd be great. Uh, so there we go. I figured. Do we have a, somebody on hold? Or is, No, no, we do not. Sorry. That's uh, my mistake. Uh, so it was fun to ch- chat with the professor there. Um, he, again, another, another scientist who tells us that he thinks there is a pretty good probability that there is at least microscopic life out there somewhere. Isn't that interesting? By the way, I think I might like, what's the movie that's out that with the um I can't remember her name. Amy Adams. People say it's good. I might go see it this weekend. I never go see movies, but you know what I'm talking about? Arrival. Is it good? Did you see it? It's great? You're, oh well, can people hear you? You can tell them it's great. You don't have to just tell me. It's like yeah, I'm talking it's great. to myself in here. Yeah, it's good. It's great movie, All right. yeah. I might have to go check out Arrival this weekend. Hopefully, people in the movie theater won't ruin it by being Philistines and uh, louts, because that would make me sad. That's what usually happens in movies. Um, All right, team. uh, We're pretty much about to go into a break, right? What am I, like 20 seconds away? I'm sure the timing's went out in my head. Oh, 10 seconds away. Ah! It's like like Armageddon. I need to hit the thing, and then the animal crackers and the stuff. Uh, Be right back.
0: The Buck
5: Sexton Show.
0: Discover more at TheBlaze.com slash radio. The Blaze
5: Radio Network.
0: This is The Buck Sexton Show.
3: Hey, so, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you, team, about what President Obama is going to do these last few months here in office, and this would be quite a move. Uh, there's a growing chorus of voices out there that are saying that Obama should pardon 750,000 uh, illegal immigrants, they call them young un- young undocumented dreamers, uh, that he should go beyond the temporary shielding uh, from deportation that he gave them under a 2012 executive order. Uh, This is DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, He's possibly going to just give them total amnesty, which he can definitely do it for any individual, doing it for an entire group. I think he can also do it. So, yeah, he could do this. 750,000 of them uh, deciding to just give them a a pass uh, even though they are not legal citizens of this country um white house is saying that the president's clemency power cannot confer legal status according to bloomberg here on an undocumented immigrant only congress can do so well yeah but what if the obama administration decides to leave that up to the courts like they've done with so many other things and he just signs it and then see what happens Leave it as sort of a political issue for the Republicans to have to then handle on their side of things, take it to the courts. And even even if legally speaking, they're correct, it'll seem like they're taking legal status away from these, uh, quote, dreamers. Uh, so, that, by the way, they gave information, including their fingerprints and their the home addresses of relatives when they applied for this back in 2012. This is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. They also got renewable two-year work permits and Social Security cards as part of the program. Uh, This is essentially a giant list of illegals that they could use to deport people if they wanted to. I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't think that this is—on the priority list for deportations, deferred action for childhood arrival individuals are, I would assume, very low on the list— but this is going to uh, shake things up a little bit. I think we'll see uh, President Obama at least talk a bit about this. Um, they also, by the way, at the bottom of this Bloomberg article, because this stuff just never, these lies never die, they say that Obama has deported more people than any prior president, formally removing 2.8 million people since taking office, compared with 2 million under George W. Bush. That's because they changed the definition of... This is how this administration plays the game. They changed the definition of deportation to include anyone caught crossing the border and turned back, right? So if you are stopped by Border Patrol and turned back, that's a deportation. Um, so this notion that Obama is the, as has been said, the deporter-in-chief, well, that's only... It depends on the meaning of of deportation, literally. So I, I just think that um, this would be... Uh, quite a political bombshell to drop on his way out if he were to try and do this. Uh, People will say, oh, but the the White House saying, oh, this is left to Congress. They're floating this out there, right? So that's for starters. They're trying to see what the public reaction to this would be. Uh, But the White House has many times decided to take upon itself congressional prerogative and sort of usurp the legislative authority for itself. And only the courts have stopped it. Keep in mind that uh, deferred action, DAPA, right? Deferred action for parents of early arrivals or whatever it is. Um, DAPA is in the courts right now. and, And Obama is, well, hoping, I suppose, that it will go his way. I don't think it will. But if the courts weren't stopping him on that, he'd go forward with it. So... This is this idea that all of a sudden Obama's discovered the separation of powers and is embracing the fact that there are things that Congress can do that he can't, I I just don't buy it. So I think we should keep an eye on this Uh, and that House Democrats are openly saying that Obama should just pardon uh, all of these dreamers, uh, which is the same as giving them – would be the same in effect as giving them legal status, right, or – it would seem to have that same effect. They can't be deported. I don't know. We'd have to see, to see how this works out. Uh, they can't be deported. Can he just confer citizenship, though? No, only an act of Congress can do that. Right? I will see. These are the sorts of things that uh, an Obama administration on the way out, especially given the hysteria of the left right now, all of their concerns about Trump and a Trump presidency and all the rest of it, I think you can see how they, you know, he may just decide let's let it ride. Let's do some crazy stuff. Let's shake it up and maybe create some momentum for the midterms. And also, it's a legacy thing for Obama. Remember, the three big issues for Obama have always been uh, climate change, which his legacy on that is mixed, but he certainly did everything and more uh, than was in his powers to try to push climate change hysteria stuff. Uh, Health care, Obamacare, of course. Number one, did get that through. There you go. And then... The final thing is immigration. And on that, he has been only marginally successful, did not get. Remember, there was a time the Gang of Eight bill. they were talking about it. There's a time when it looked like they might try to ram that legislation through or try to get it through with some help from Republicans. But that went away pretty fast. And then he started doing it with executive orders. Those executive orders can be undone by Donald Trump. And I think he will undo some of them. I don't know if he'll undo the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, though. I do think that they are – the the reason the Democrats always talk about dreamers is that they are the most sympathetic class of illegal alien, right? people that were brought here as children and didn't have a say in the process. But then again, you know, if your parents stole from a bank and gave you the money when you were 15, eh, they're still going to take that money back from you if they catch you. They're not going to say, oh, well, it's not your fault that the money was given to you – American citizenship is obviously a very desirable and valued thing and to break the law to get it is not okay. So that's the other side of all of this. Uh, Trump has run in many ways on a law and order on a law and order ticket uh, to become the next president of the United States. I do think that that was at least a partially motivating factor for a lot of those who went for Trump. I think the economy was certainly number 1, but there was also sort of the the nonsense of uh, the anti-police protests and uh, the destruction wrought by some of the Black Lives Matter protesters. So, I think you've got to factor all that in. All right, team. I am uh, running over to uh, CNN 3:30 Eastern. I'll be talking about some of the things we've discussed actually today on the show. So, if you're near a TV or if you have the CNN app, you can toss it. Hopefully, around 3:30 ET, they might make me wait there for 10 or 15 minutes, and not you know who knows. I might even I don't know maybe they'll I'm hoping they do the segment. But I'm supposed to be on at 3.30 Eastern, uh, so you get a chance to hang out with me on TV if you can. Uh, Please do download today's podcast and uh, have a fantastic weekend. I'll be looking forward to being back on air with you all weekend until Monday. I'll be in Dallas, 9 to 12 Eastern Monday and Tuesday, in for Glenn. Don't forget, so I'm in on the big show Monday and Tuesday. Until then, chill time.
5: Sexton
0: Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.